Hoopball Podcast listeners. Are you a fantasy expert and want to write or podcast for Hoopball? Do you have aspirations of covering a team? Are you a master of sales and want to earn some cash on the phones? Well, we've got good news. Hoopball's recruiting. If you think you have what it takes, hit us up at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or by emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Again, that's at Hoopball Fantasy on Twitter or emailing teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. The following is a Hoopball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Happy, happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to another week of Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am your host, Dan Vespris, and we continue our now somewhat, is it called into question? Maybe. Countdown. Towards the restart of the NBA season, we are officially now on June 15th, which is the middle of the month. We are one and a half months away from the restart of the NBA season, and I, for one, am pretty excited about it. It's about six and a half weeks or so, give or take, uh, almost exactly, is it exactly 45 days? I think it might be exactly 45 days, but over the weekend... And I think we do have to talk about this. So as a preface, getting into this discussion, I know it's a polarizing one to be sure. Over the weekend, or going into the weekend and then throughout, Kyrie Irving was part of a group of players, and we have a few names that have come out, but not that many. He's, he's far and away the biggest name in the bunch, and also a vice president in the Players Association, voiced concerns about the resumption of the NBA season, most notably that restarting the season would take focus away from exceedingly important events happening in our country right now, most notably protests and forward progress in the world, the country and the world's continuing battle for equality, for civil rights, for black people in America. Now, and again, I want to preface all of this with the note that some of you are going to be like, oh, Dan, you got to talk about sports. This is sports. This is a, a topic that's going to decide whether or not the NBA season comes back this year. So I want to frame this in a few different ways. Number one, you guys need to know that what I say here is just the opinion of one dummy with a podcast. Me. What I'm saying is not going to be any kind of referendum on either Dis point of discussion. I want to present all of the facts, and then at the end of it, I'm going to try to present what I think makes the most sense going forward. But again, this is just what I think makes the most sense. Most importantly, starting point, the end goal of everything right now should be equality. Should be equality. That's, I, I think, I it should be a given for some folks, it ain't. So I want to put that out there. That is priority number one, is the continuing forward progress of the movement taking place. It is more important than the NBA. It is more important than pretty much anything else going on right now. How to get there is what's currently up for debate in NBA circles. 
Second point I want to outline before we get into the specifics is no one is really right or wrong in this because both camps, whatever you want to say, I hate to say both sides because there's been this both sidesism thing that's become more of an evil term to use, but both camps that are arguing on this topic have pretty reasonable and viable points to their arguments. And finally, the third point is, is there a way to have cake and eat it too? Another question that's worth addressing. All right, so here's what's going on. For those that weren't paying attention over the weekend and didn't hear the different pieces of the puzzle, there was rumbling occurring late last week, Thursday and Friday. We got little rumor mills turning that some players were upset with the way the league went about planning this resumption. We didn't really know what that meant initially, uh, whether people were upset because they were concerned about health. Uh, There was stuff coming out for about half a day about how Disney employees were going to have to be quarantined or not quarantined and under sort of different rules than the players and staff within the Orlando bubble. And I think most of us at that point were led to believe, at least by the stories leaking, that most of the player concerns, again, this is what we were led to believe, was related to the bubble. On Friday... Kyrie Irving hosted a conference call, and I believe the final number was more than 80 players were on it, to discuss some of the issues that they had with the resumption of the NBA season. And at that point, I thought, okay, we're going to finally get a little bit more information, and we did. It wasn't so much the bubble element of it, and I think players do want a little bit more freedom to move around, and there's an optics thing that's happening there. But to me, those things were sort of secondary and tertiary to the main point, which is, and it was further elucidated uh, by Dwight Howard, actually, in a, a press release put out by his camp on Sunday, that explained, basically, and I'm going to try to paraphrase most of what's going on because we're a podcast and, you know, I'm a regular old white guy, uh, that The fear among those that are hesitant to resume the season is that the season will take the focus off of the civil rights movement, which is a truly legitimate concern from a massive issue that has faced this country for hundreds of years, and you're finally seeing signs of movement, signs of progress already on this front. The players are not unexpectedly, concerned that if they go out and give folks something else to look at, folks will look at that something else. That's the point of side A in this discussion. Side B makes a couple of counterpoints, which is one, and then there's the, we'll start with the financial side, I guess, even though maybe it's not the most important, but it is a pretty big one. If the players choose not to resume the season, the collective bargaining agreement goes through the shredder, which doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but it's a very big deal because we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. You're talking about the negotiation of a new collective bargaining agreement where owners would have massive upper hand after getting to tear up the last one, and many concessions would most likely have to be made by the Players Association 
after they've made all these strides in previous collective bargaining agreements to, to grab more player power in the NBA. The NBA is one of the most, if not the most, player-driven league in all of major sports, and a lot of that is because of the progress they've made in their collective bargaining agreement. So that's the financial side, and it's a big deal. Some of the guys involved in this are set for life. Some of them are not. We have to remember those percentages of, of we, we hear about the guys that have hundreds of million dollars. We don't hear about the ones that are scraping for their $600,000 contract. To me, that's the less important point in all of this. The other point made by Camp B in this discussion is, well, can the NBA be used as a platform? Side A would say, well, we've had the NBA for X number of years, and we've tried to use it as a platform, and it's never created the kind of movement that's happening right now organically, and that's a reasonable argument. So that's where we stand on this thing. Here's what I think is going to happen. Again, just reading the tea leaves here. And I know you guys are sitting back and thinking, why, Dan, why are we talking about this on a fantasy basketball podcast? Well, the fact this is all basketball news right now. I'm not even talking about the protests themselves. We're talking about what could happen with our NBA season. We were counting down the days, and now we sort of swallow deep and think, what's the next thing that's going to happen? What's the next news story that's going to break? So we have to talk about this right now. I do these shows, and I always worry that the first reaction everybody is going to be, Dan, why are you venturing outside of fantasy basketball? But this is a basketball story. So bear with me on this one. Anyway, here's what I think is going to happen. I think you're going to see this discussion take place a little bit out in the open, as we have already, which is probably a good thing. There's a lot going on right now where I don't feel like the discussion needs to take place in the open. For instance, baseball, good Lord, keep it private, baseball. That does not need to be out in the open. But that's a discussion for another time. Anyway, what I think is going to happen is after this discussion plays out in the open, I think you're probably still going to see the NBA come back on or around July 30th. Now, we do still have COVID things to worry about on that front, but that also is another discussion. You know, COVID cases in Florida and uh, Arizona and Texas and Alabama and some of these states are spiking right now. They're even going up here in California, which also stinks. By the way, people, pandemic still out there. I'm just saying. So uh, forget COVID stuff for a moment, because that could also derail things. But from uh, this particular discussion, thing that's, Front and center in NBA circles right now. I think you still see the season resume uh, after this discussion. And the reason I say that is this. I don't want this to come off as jaded in any way. Because, again, it's, it's not fair for me, a person who is not directly impacted by the topics that are being discussed and, and the, the rights that are being fought for right now, it's not fair for me to be a jaded party in this, but from a pragmatic standpoint, there's always attrition that comes in with everything, anything in life. Forget protests. You talk about anything. There's always sort of a war of attrition that goes on. The movement right now is massive, but even as of today, it's less than it was Five days ago, and less than five days before that. 
I think there's just a general, not fading, but there's, it's almost like media fatigue. The media can only cover the same story for so long. People can only fight for so long before they need a breather. And that's, it's a stupid thing to say. I know as I'm saying it, many of you listening are like, this is different. And it is, it is, it's more important than almost anything else that we've seen, at least in recent history, probably longer than that. But that's just the nature of the beast. It's just the nature of the beast. And so in my mind, I'm thinking of trying, I'm trying to come up with the best possible avenue. I think what you see, and again, this is my guess as to what comes next, is that over the next two to four weeks, you see that fatigue set in, whether it's media fatigue or participant fatigue or whatever. And there's always going to be people that are that are able to push through it, but 5% come off here, 5% come off there. And at that point, I think you're going to see a lot of the, the feelings shift towards, look, we now need the platform to keep this thing going. Where right now, you don't. June 15th, you don't. If the NBA was starting up tomorrow, I think I'd be 100% on the side of postpone. There's no point right now. Things are happening on their own. I don't know if you guys, listeners, if you had a chance to watch uh, Dave Chappelle's, I would call it stand-up, but it was really more of a uh, discussion of current events that he uploaded to YouTube. It's a Netflix production. He talks about how the streets are talking right now. Well, if that starts to fade, a little bit, a lot of it, whatever, that's when big names can come in and inject life into it. Right now, it doesn't need it. But at the end of July, beginning of August, it might. And so I don't know what the right answer is. That's just what I think is probably going to happen. So for all of you that are hemming and hawing right now, like, am I going to get my NBA back? Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. But from an, what do we think? If you look at all the pieces right now, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's probably going to come back. The question is in what, how does it come back and how is it used for this platform? So again, apologies to those that did tuned in expecting to just hear fantasy right out of the gate. No fantasy uh, at the beginning of today's show. We do still have plenty of stuff to talk about on the Yahoo rankings board, but that was the big story in the NBA the last four days. It needed to be discussed. I hope, and it's funny, like I don't even know why I feel like I need to, to make something like this apolitical, but to me, once you start venturing into whose fault things are, that's where people start to get a little bit squeamish. I don't assign any blame on today's podcast. This is just a thing that's happening that's really damn important. And I want you guys to be aware of it, if you weren't. A breast caught up, filled in on the details of how it impacts the NBA. Because that's what we cover. On Friday, by the way, I'm at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. On Friday, we got through the top 20 in our little game of how did they do? Well, we break down Yahoo's preseason ranks and compare them to the end of season nine category 
per game rankings and try to use that data to formulate a strategy going forward, particularly on draft day, where you're like, okay, this is where they've got guys ranked. How did they end up doing? How much can I utilize this information? And how do I use this to construct my own lists? Because look, sometimes we look at stuff like this and we're looking for areas where Yahoo made mistakes. It's important to also look where they got things right. Because we can also use that information when calculating our own numbers. So through the top 20, as you may recall from Friday's show, the main takeaways, and largely, folks, we're going to be looking at the live absolute value average, basically the distance, average distance between the preseason rank and the end of season rank, as you work your way through the entire list, and the running tally, the absolute value average of the last 10 preseason ranks, meaning how's Yahoo doing lately? What you, what have you done for me lately? How you doing lately? With the live running absolute value of everything, that's a number that's mostly going to trend up. They both will. And it's going to be harder to move that number because by the time you get to pick 35, 40, 50, 60, there's a lot built in. You're dividing a, a large total by a large denominator, and it just though both of those just keeps getting bigger. In the absolute value, the running tally per 10, the denominator is always 10. So it's really going to be all about how Yahoo's picks are doing in a certain range of preseason ranks. So through the top 20, what we figured out is that Yahoo was actually pretty damn good especially when you compared it to prior seasons. It was better. Remember last year, the live absolute value difference, the average after 20 picks, was almost 11. They were missing by almost 11 per pick. That's a lot. Which at that point means you could probably dive a full round later in your preseason numbers, and it wouldn't be that crazy. Now, admittedly, this is where it's important to look at the live average without an absolute value because you see, okay, well, they're generally missing on the on the low side. There haven't been that many hits yet. So I don't know that you'd go farther down the list. But again, compare last year to this year. Was almost 11. This season, after 20 picks, the absolute value average after 20 was 8. That's damn impressive. It's hard to shrink those numbers when there aren't that many picks involved. You just have to be pretty good on most of them. And maybe the biggest thing we discovered on Friday, and, and to me, this was a, a very large key, and I don't know if it's something that's going to hold because, again, we're, we're talking about fairly limited sample size here. But last season, Victor Oladipo was a miss by three rounds. Ben Simmons was a miss by four rounds. Donovan Mitchell was a miss by almost three rounds. This year, inside the top 20, there were no misses of three rounds of value. And the only ones that got close were Kemba Walker, who was a two-round miss, and Steph Curry, who was a killed-your-team, but technically two-and-a-half-round miss on a per-game basis. But that, I mean, again, what like how do we even discuss that one? 
His whole season was gone. You can effectively just call him a, a null set. Your team was pretty much dead if you had Steph Curry. The running tally, by the way, at pick 20 of the last 10 was almost 17 last year because of Oladipo, because of Ben Simmons, because of Donovan Mitchell, and it was 10 this year. Almost half. Almost cut it in half. So this is big. This is very big. Yahoo, for whatever, I don't, again, I don't know if it was luck or if it's a trend, and this is why we need to be paying close attention to this kind of stuff, but this year, Yahoo dramatically improved their top 20, the ability to nail their top 20. Last year, they were all over the map with their top 20. And this year, it got better. Does that mean that next draft that we'd stick, that we adhere close to Yahoo's preseason ranks inside the top 20? Maybe. Maybe. Because really, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, it, it lasted through the top 25. It lasted until you got to the De'Aaron Fox, Draymond Green chunk of names at 28 and 30. That's where things started to come off the rails a little bit. And then there was actually another pretty good stretch in there before it, again, derailed around Mike Conley and Otto Porter. There's always going to be little groupings that bump numbers up. That's always going to happen. And last year, you know, the picks after the top 20, there was actually a little run there where they did relatively well. You know, Andre Drummond, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, Bradley Beal, those guys were all actually pretty damn close last year. And this season, not that dissimilar until you got to De'Aaron Fox. So there's there's a randomness to the order that these things happen in. They could very easily have ordered those things a little bit differently. Point is, Yahoo got better at figuring out who was going to be at the top of the NBA. Where things didn't change as much is where we're about to venture next, which is after the top 25, basically. Now, we'll start today by by looking at number 21, because I don't want to just jump right through it, but there were a few pretty good ones in there. Uh, Nikola Vucevic at 21, he was 17, missed by four. Miles Turner missed by 34, so that was not great. But it didn't, it didn't ruin things, luckily, because Andre Drummond... Would have been a bigger miss if his season didn't tank in Cleveland towards the end, but that one was only a miss by three. DeAndre Ayton was a miss by two, and Mitchell Robinson was missed by 22, which, again, is not, not great, but it's also not the end of the world. So at the end of the top 25, the absolute value average is at 9.2. Last year, by the way, at that exact same moment, it was at 12. So again, got better. Then things level off a little bit. Outside the top 25, De'Aaron Fox was a miss by 58. John Collins was a positive miss, but it was still by 20. Missed a lot of time, but again, he was out, outperforming his ADP at, at that moment. Draymond Green was a negative miss of 51. Pascal Siakam, pretty much right on the nose. That was a miss by one. Ben Simmons was a miss by eight. So now it starts to jump around a little bit. How could we have isolated some of these situations perhaps before? We didn't draft De'Aaron Fox almost anywhere. If you were following the Bespris method, I felt like 26 was way above his head. 
And if he stays healthy all year, it's possible that by totals he gets pretty close to that. But by averages, he's going to have a whale of a time because he still can't shoot free throws. Draymond Green was someone I thought was going to get drafted later, frankly. I thought he would fall quite a bit based on a bad previous year. He didn't, which is fortunate because I only ended up with him in one place. He was a guy I was thinking about taking if he fell into the 40s. He just didn't go that that low. So I got a little bit lucky there. He was one I liked, and he stunk, and I got lucky that I didn't end up with him. Siakam, Ben Simmons, uh, pick 31 was Donovan Mitchell. We're just going to roll through a few names here. That was a miss of 15. Devin Booker, seven-slot miss. Chris Paul, one of our favorites all season long, 20-slot miss. Jaron Jackson Jr., 32. Kristaps Porzingis, 14. Buddy Heald, uh, 23. Mike Conley, 144. Otto Porter Jr., 88. D'Angelo Russell, 11. And Jason Tatum, a positive miss this time, of 29. So there were some positives in that stretch. That gets us through the top 40. And I want to put a, a, a pause very briefly on this discussion while we look at what we just uncovered. After the top 40... The live absolute value average now sits at 19. Last year, it was at 14, by the way. So that's the difference that one Mike Conley can do to your numbers. And this is why we can't put all of our stock in what we're determining from these numbers, because some of it is random. If Mike Conley's preseason rank was four slots later, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be tabulated inside this top 40. This is where your running 10 starts to become a little bit more relevant when you're trying to learn stuff. Once Mike Conley and Otto Porter got into the mix, the running 10 jumped from 19, an average miss of 19, to 36. Once Blake Griffin got in there, it jumped to 62. But luckily, all three of those guys come out by pick 52, because that's after Blake Griffin's 10 slots, and it drops back down to 24. So you have to be aware of how the outliers, how the big misses, how the guys that should have, like Blake Griffin, he should have never been there to begin with, how stuff like that can impact these numbers that we're pulling up. Of course, it's going to be massive negative bumps when that happens in your general running average because you can't have a pick inside the top 40 that has a positive miss of 140. But what this does tell us, our job here is not just to yell the numbers out really loud on a podcast. Our job here is to figure out what they mean and how we can use them going forward. Well, unfortunately, the short version is you kind of can't. Because now we're comparing these absolute value averages. You have to wait. You look at last year and look for the biggest giant early miss, and that was Gary Harris last year. Eh, Oddly enough, he was a big miss again this year. And he was a miss of 123. Will Barton last year was a miss of 162. Goran Dragic was a miss of 127. So that's where you start to see those numbers jump last year. Uh, In that 44 range, it jumps up the, uh, the absolute value Tally jumps up to about 17 at that point. That's right where Blake Griffin jumps ours from 18 to 24 this year. 
So there's always going to be those players that are gigantic misses that kind of screw up our numbers, and it's important to then look kind of in between those guys and see how Yahoo's doing without those players. So let's pull those out. Just for argument's sake, we're going to pull out Mike Conley. We're going to make him non-existent. We're going to pull out Otto Porter. We'll make him non-existent. And we're going to pull out Blake, Blake Griffin, make him non-existent. If you remove those three guys, the running absolute value, instead of being 24, is 12. Meaning that if you take out the gigantic misses that made it look like Yahoo was missing by two rounds per pick inside the top 30, inside the top 35, they're actually still missing by just one round. Those outliers are important because they give us a false sense of security in going away from the names on the board. When in fact, what we should be doing is instead of getting hyper-aggressive at pick 37, which is where Mike Conley pops up, and the numbers jump, again, remember, by pick 42 here, with Blake Griffin in... The miss size was two rounds. With him out, it was one. Those three guys counted, two-round miss. Those three guys not counted, one-round miss. That's a really big difference. Because when you get to pick 42, and if it's your turn, and you're halfway through the fourth round, and you're like, well, my numbers last year told me that Yahoo was missing by two rounds per player at this point, I can look as far down as preseason rank 66. It's probably an inaccurate statement. What you can do at that point, and this is where you have to look at both the positive and the negative numbers, what you can do is say, well, I feel relatively comfortable going about a round away and... Even more importantly, because you have to compare the running average and the running absolute value average, because these are all giant negative misses, they're missing in the negative direction by about 9. The total overall miss is about 12 or 13, but the average miss is negative 9. And this is why I constantly preach. And this, by the way, this is set year over year over year over year. If you ignore... The massive whiffs, which, by the way, that's part of our goal, is to go into drafts and not get the massive whiff guys. Which, frankly, I mean, Mike Conley, we could have ended up with him. Certainly could have ended up with some auto porters. Definitely would not going to end up with Blake Griffins. If we can dodge the gigantic misses in those early rounds, you can stay relatively close and pretty much pick from the next few names on the board. This is why I always say early rounds, play it cautious. Don't go reaching for guys down the board. Don't grab the hype guys. I mean, look at, look at the hype guys early in this one. Uh, well, I guess it's, I guess it's Mitchell Robinson. It's pretty much the only one up in that neck of the woods. Uh, Ignore the hype guys. Jaron Jackson Jr. also falls into that mix. 
play it relatively safe, and pick from the next few guys. Remember, our plan, as per our five lessons learned from this season concluded for next year, is to go very safe early through the top roughly 50. You could, if you're in a hyper-competitive league, you could dial that back to, you know, top 42, 45, something like that. Then you start exploring guys with a little more hype and upside. Then, well, I guess we should say there's the falling the falling star section. Remember, that's part of our early grab is very, very safe through the first two rounds. Falling stars through the next two rounds. Uh, start to look at some hype guys in the, in the fifth and or sixth round. Look at the next group of falling guys after that, and then the next group of buzz guys. That's what we talked about last month. Does that bear itself out? In what we're seeing here. Well, again, if we remove the giant whiffs, because I don't want us to be making our decisions based on cloudy numbers, the miss size is around 12 after the top 30, it's 13. It stays around 13 until you get almost all the way to 50. And then it starts ticking up, interestingly enough. It's at 14 after four more picks. It's at 15 after about five more picks. Then 16, 17, 18, 19. And it's at 20 by the time you get to 70. So it stayed between basically 11 and 13 and a half. For about 25 picks, De'Aaron Fox jumped it from 9 to 11 at pick 28, and it doesn't get to 14 until pick 54, excuse me, 52. So 25 picks, it goes from 11 to 14 and change, average miss size. From 52 to 77, the average miss size jumps from 14 to 22. That's more than double the jump from the previous group. Because once you get outside the top 50, it picks up quick. And you can look at the last 10 as a barometer of this as well. At pick 50, that was Tobias Harris this year, the running 10 miss size was 16.6. At pick 60, that next group, 26 and a half. The 61 to 70 group, 44. The 71 to 80 group, 51. The 81 to 90 group, 60. It's not perfectly linear. It actually comes back down to 56 in the 91 through 100 group. But you can see how it jumps. That last 10 becomes such a powerful indicator. Top 10. 6.4. 11 through 20, 10. 21 through 30, 20, actually. That was not a great grouping for Yahoo this year, largely because of Draymond Green uh, and De'Aaron Fox. 31 through 40, 15. 41 through 50, 16 and a half. 
And then magically, after the top 50 this year, then it goes 26, 44, 51, 59. Is that insane? Let's compare it to last year. It was actually a little bit earlier that things came off the rails. After the top 40, here, we'll do a groups of 10 again. Top 10, 4.9. Second round, or second 10, 17. Third 10, 18. Fourth 10, 16. Got better. 41 through 50 now. 46, then 54, 45, 30. Somehow they did really well between 70 and 80 last year. Back up to 44 and then 74. I would venture to say that the 71 through 80 grouping last year was uh, more the exception than the rule. But what you saw here is that last year, Yahoo did pretty damn well inside the top 42. 43, even, you can make the argument. 44 last year, Gary Harris started this uh, complete fall apart. Multiple guys, just giant misses all the way across the board. And this year, it happened after pick 50. Actually, after pick 51. And if you really want to narrow it down, it happened after pick Kyle Lowry. (laughs) After pick Kyle Lowry, it started to trend up pretty consistently. And after Malcolm Brogdon, it trended up hard. How do we use this data? That's the battle that we are constantly fighting. Last year, I think I misinterpreted the data. Last year, I looked at this and I said, well, I'm going to move no man's land from 75 to 70. And I was not nearly aggressive enough last year on my movement of no man's land. I also don't think I adequately detailed what no man's land has now become. It's a different beast. I said, well, top 75, uh, the, the, the big box sites were actually hanging in there okay. This was two years ago. We said top 75, they were hanging in there okay. And by 75, 80, it just totally goes off the rails. And then last year, we looked at the data and I said, you know what? It's really more like the top 70, 65 or 70, that they're hanging in there. And then it completely goes off the rails. And by this year, now we finally are starting to really hone in on where we make our moves. First two rounds, we draft durable studs. You want 160 games out of your top two picks, and they will carry you. Next two rounds, you look for falling stars, guys that are ranked too late, like a Chris Paul as a third-round pick. Uh, We talked about LaMarcus Aldridge as a, a, a guy that we could get Later than expected. Jason Tatum as a post-hype guy. Who else was in that grouping? Once you get like back towards pick 30 or so. Uh, Rob Covington, I think, probably falls into that group. Not that he's a star necessarily, but his game, he's always going to get underdrafted, and he was rolling when the season ended out. If he finished up his year in Houston, it was going to be a big one. Uh, Chris Middleton was underdrafted. Clint Capella was underdrafted. Tobias Harris was underdrafted. That list, as we've talked about before, extends about as far as Jonas Valanciunas. And that'll usually get you through the top, in competitive leagues, 60. In less competitive leagues, more like top 70. After that top 70, that's where we've decided, okay, now it's time for us to get creative. 
Now it's time for us to go get our Kelly Oubre's and our Shea Gilgis Alexander's and whoever else is floating around out there that was that was falling that far. Again, competitive formats where a lot of you guys are playing. That's more like at the end of after the top 60. By the way, Shea finished with a preseason rank of 55. So, again, even though his ADP was 60-something, he was generally getting drafted a little bit earlier than that. So, no man's land isn't even really a thing anymore. It's not that we can... You know, I, I guess I fall into the trap of oversimplifying at times because I do think at its core, fantasy basketball is a relatively simple game with a lot of nuance. And if we kind of fight hard enough, we can just outgame other people while keeping it relatively simple. So unfortunately, I have to complicate it just a tiny bit. Not a lot, just a little bit. And I know we're we're not even I mean this is this is broad stroke stuff we're doing when we break down this how did Yahoo do but this is so critical that we understand and I know you know we ramble our way through this a little bit it's not that there's no man's land it's not what we referred to in the past as no man's land is really when can I get really aggressive and again, it depends on your league, but in competitive 12-team formats, it's really more like pick 60. And that's not because that's where Yahoo falls apart. It's, where, it's because that's where we run out of our first group of falling stars. In fact, as we mentioned before, Yahoo made it to about pick 55 or 56 before things started falling for them and maybe those two things do go hand in hand because last year yahoo made it to what what did we say like pick 40 something 42 before things started taking a turn is it possible that last year we had to get aggressive at pick 43 hell no because there were still falling stars in that mix Let's go back to last year and remember some of the names that were still falling at that point. Al Horford, his preseason rank last year. Again, not talking about this season. Last year. Miles Turner, 42, he finished at 25. Horford, 43, finished at 27. Mike Conley, 47, finished at 26. There were a lot of hits in there of guys that just had no business falling. Vooch, Covington. It still went roughly... To the edge of the top 60. And then you had like Nico Miritich and Brooke Lopez that were floating around as hits after that point. Uh, so you could make the argument that maybe it did go to 65. So the question now that we have to answer, and I don't know that we can do it on today's podcast, but the key question here at the end of this discussion is, as we move towards the middle rounds on how did Yahoo do, is Yahoo getting better? And if so, do we have to expect that they can get a little bit better again next year? Because every year, we've been about a half round behind where we need to be ratcheting it up a little bit. I'll tell you what, that did impact some of my worst picks in fantasy this year. It's because I was in my head thinking, okay, I generally have until about pick 65 or 70 before I need to go off script I can script out my plays the first five to six rounds most years. And this year, it was really the first five rounds. 
Yahoo got better, which meant the general public got better, which meant leagues, almost by accident, got more competitive. Isn't that crazy? Think about that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat it because that's a really interesting and key point to take away at the end here. If Yahoo's getting better, and I know they take some of their data from their pros, they take some from Roto World, they get their stuff from a few different places. If Yahoo is getting better at preseason ranks, that means that jokers that are drafting off of their preseason ranks are also going to be better. Auto drafts are going to be better. Everything, all of our competition by accident is going to be better. When I say our, I mean the diehards, the hardcore folks that are listening to fantasy podcasts. Crazy people like us. Yeah, we can still do more planning and plotting and scheming and gaming. But ultimately, the difficulty setting just got turned up. And we didn't have anything to do with it. And the other people didn't have anything to do with it. It just got harder. Because the big box site got better. And if Yahoo's going to get a half round better again, and they're going to stay close instead of through the top 15 two years ago, or top 20 this season, if they're going to stay tight for 25 or 30, and their picks are going to be good, and they're going to be locked in instead of through the top 50, maybe they're going to be locked in through the top 60 this coming year, then some of our best guys, the falling stars that fall back, aren't going to be as far back. And we're going to have to make the adjustment. We're going to have to go... We're going to, have to play it real safe for the first two rounds because they tend to get those right, or at least relatively right. Rounds three and four, that might be the only falling stars we get. I mean, we've generally been able to go rounds five and six in the past. This year, remember, one of my issues was that I didn't even make it through round five. It's possible falling stars might only be two rounds of our drafts next year. So before I get lost in thought again and and circle the drain here on this podcast. I know I'm bouncing off the walls with this stuff. This actually, I know, many of you guys are like, this is the worst podcast of the year. I love this stuff. I love this theory. This is fantasy theory. Fantasy theory here is, how do we simplify the game while still winning? We simplify the game by knowing what other people are going to be doing. How do we know what other people are going to be doing? By knowing what they're studying. They're studying the Yahoo preseason ranks. The folks in your league that are somewhat competitive, but not hyper-competitive. Hyper-competitive, we've already talked about that. You just need to know what website they're reading, and you know when they're going to be taken, guys. The folks where you don't know what website they're reading, or maybe they're not reading any, that's probably half your league. Maybe a little less, depending on how competitive your league is. We need to know when to make our move. We need to know when we go get our Shays and our Ubres and our Gordon Haywards from this year. Do we do it in the fifth round? This last season, I tried to do it in the sixth round. Or even the seventh, if I could make it that far. If perhaps I had a pick towards the beginning of the seventh round. You know, pick 73 or 4 or 5 or something like that. Sixth, seventh round. This next year, we might need to do it at five. 
We got to stay ahead of the curve. We got to stay ahead of the curve. All right, we'll talk more about how Yahoo did uh, on tomorrow's show. We'll we'll keep rolling here. I think we got through what the top forty technically on this one, but I want to give you some more names and some more uh, final results on that stuff. And so we'll pick that back up again tomorrow. Thank you for indulging me at the beginning of the podcast. I know uh, it, it ventured into a realm that was not fantasy sports, but it's very important right now, and uh, we should all be sort of on the up and up on the discussion points. Uh, Again, I don't know that we're going to ever find out which side was right or wrong, uh, but we are, I think, going to find out which direction it's going over time. And I end the thought with a thought I've had on many things here over the last three months. Just wait. Just wait. I said this about leagues when when the NBA shut down. We don't need to make our decision before the NBA makes theirs. And the same thing goes for racial justice. The NBA doesn't need to make its decision before they find out how the movement is progressing. Wait. It's a really good point to have out in the open. And folks need to be aware of it. But no final decisions need to be made today. League doesn't start for 45 days. I know, there's training camps and stuff like that. That's fine. I don't think that'll take the focus away. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, I'm Dan Bespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Thank you for bearing with me, folks. I I hope this was illuminating for you. We'll talk more about Yahoo again tomorrow. Have a great Monday, everybody. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.